AstronomyCast, episode 670, Governing Space, the Outer Space Treaty of 1967 and more. Welcome to AstronomyCast, a weekly fact-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. With me, as always, is Dr. Pamela Gay, a senior scientist for the Planetary Science Institute and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I I am doing well, and I am more grateful to our patrons than normal today because all of my technology has gone, no. And after the show is over, I will be buying a replacement microphone because you are out there to allow this Mm -hmm. to happen. Wonderful. So thank you. Nice. Thank you, patrons. The universe was inaccessible for most of human history, but the first tentative steps to space in the 20th century made humanity realize that science fiction was becoming science reality. New rules would have to be written to govern how we used this limitless expanse. Today, we'll talk about the Outer Space Treaty of 1967. Okay, Pamela, it's it's interesting to me to sort of think about this this time, like before even the first spacecraft was launched. And, you know, science fiction writers had been considering what the future of human space exploration would be. But I wonder, like, what perspective did people give, do you think, on on how humanity's nations would extend out beyond planet Earth? Well, it all actually started with the 1959 Antarctic Treaty. So at this point, satellites were starting to be a thing. Uh, Countries were starting to think about, we would like to call that chunk of Antarctica ours, Mm. based on who got which places first. And there was a lot of arguing over who got to which place first and what could be claimed by whom. And so with the 1959 Antarctic Treaty, they set down the idea that the the continent of Antarctica belongs to everyone and is there as a place for scientists to explore and no one to commercially exploit. Hmm. So we started with that, and it was that document that then – in many ways formed the starting point of even the the language that was used in the later space treaty. So it all starts with Antarctica. And ironically, this is now where we train a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. So one step at a time. Right. And so you, you can't go place a flag and call this part of Antarctica part of Argentina. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That this is the colony from Argentina as just more of their space. And yeah. there are doubtless enormous resources locked under the thick ice shelf. It's yes. just at the time it was just realized that it was so complicated to try and get at it that it and and the value of it as a pristine wilderness and as a place to do research was greater. That they sit and they all came together and agreed and and formed the Antarctic Treaty. Okay, so so then how do you, how did the Antarctic Treaty then bleed into like what were the events that brought everyone together to start writing the Outer Space Treaty? So in in 1958, 
as they're working on drafting the Antarctic Treaty that would be ratified the following year, the Committee on Space Research, COSPAR, was an international committee, and it was pulled together to start looking at, well, people are now going around and around our planet. We should start figuring out how to govern this. And Coast Bar is still out there today. And the following year, 1959, we had the UN Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, which is headquartered out of Vienna. It's it's still there. Uh, The building that it's in actually appeared in an Avengers movie, which confused me. Um, But... I don't question mm-hmm. these things. It just happens. Yeah, cool building. And 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 so so we had those two organizations coming together to try and figure out literally the peaceful uses for space. They they tied it straight into the name. And then in 1963, we started having um, new nations in addition to the U.S. and USSR starting to look at nuclear weapons. We had the U.S. and USSR testing their weapons. And that was the year that they came up with the uh, limited test ban treaty, which basically said thou shalt not test nuclear weapons in the air, Mm. in the ocean, or in outer space. So it was under the influence of first we have the Antarctic Treaty saying this land is going to be shared by everyone. We're going to do everything we can to not exploit it, not pollute it, and we're going to take care of each other. So if someone in one thing starts to have issues, people in the other habitat will go rescue them. Right. All of this came together. I mean, it's crazy to yeah. think, right, that they were just detonating nuclear weapons yeah, yeah. on islands in the South Pacific or on islands yeah. in Siberia that they were just just finding out. And obviously the, the original tests in the, in the U.S., they, they would yes. just blow these things up just to find out and to keep making them more powerful. And there would be fallout and it would, radiation would be kicked into the atmosphere. Like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, yet they, and yet they did it. There, there was a John Wayne movie where they have traced a high cancer incidence of people who were on set to nearby uh, nuclear testing. Hmm. Yeah. So with all of those terrible things going on in this world, people started to say, okay, let's step back and let's, let's make Antarctica first and then the area around our world, places that aren't going to be a hot mess, for lack of a better phrase. But that is really the best way to sum up the page after page after page right, right, right. of these documents. Yeah. Okay. So so we've got to this point where people have come together twice to consider topics that are, that are the, I guess, the two pieces yes. of the puzzle. Because, like, I always joke about the Outer Space Treaty, that it's really all about nuclear weapons. Like the vast majority yeah. of the Outer Space Treaty is thinking about nuclear weapons in space, right? And 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 that's that direct history coming out of 1963 with the Limited Test Ban Treaty and the realization of oh oh we can put things in orbit now and this this is a big debate in both of our nations right now where they keep finding small inflatables right. above our continents and then shooting them down. Yeah. Um, when you can put things in orbit, you can put them over anywhere. Yes. 
All right, we're going to talk about the actual Outer Space Treaty in a second, but it's time for another break. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I somehow am turning 50 in December. Whether I want to or not, this has me reflecting on what are the things I still want to accomplish and how do I do those things? Some of it I can figure out on my own. I want to be able to bike ride a metric century in under five hours, and I know how to train to do that. But other things I want to accomplish with my career, my research, how can I be a better mentor and manager? For these things where I want to learn to be the adultier adult on the telecon, I need to talk to someone and get resources that I'm not going to be able to find on my own. As I've mentioned here before, I've turned to BetterHelp to get help in the past, and the entire process for getting matched with a therapist was super straightforward. I filled out an online questionnaire on my phone and was matched with a licensed therapist the very next day. They also allow you to switch therapists at no additional charge. Between talking to someone and interacting through all of BetterHelp's online tools, I was able to learn new things and, I hope, become a better version of myself. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com astronomy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash astronomy. And we're back. Okay, so then let's talk about the Outer Space Treaty itself. So, so the Outer Space Treaty, as initially signed in 1967, very much followed the language of the Antarctic Treaty, as I said. So uh, it is to be shared by everyone for peaceful scientific pursuits, but it was realized over the years that it needed to be amended. So uh, just one year passed before they were like, hmm, let's add language in 1968 that there's now a rescue agreement. Mm. So the idea is if, say, something goes catastrophically wrong on the International Space Station, the Chinese astronauts who have the capacity, they probably don't right now because the orbits are different, but if the Chinese astronauts had the capacity to go rescue the U.S. and Russian astronauts, they would be required to do it by the 1968 rescue agreement. That makes complete sense, makes for great plots of movies. Then in 1972, as we started getting more and more things in orbit, the idea of, well, what if your spacecraft crashes into my spacecraft problem rose? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's happened. It, it has. And it recently almost happened again where there were two dead spacecraft that came within a few meters mm-hmm. of each other. And so in 1972, they added on the Space Liability Convention which literally says that if your spacecraft crashes into my spacecraft, you are liable for my costs. Right. Fair enough. Uh, And so, like, at this point, like, the rules are you can't own space. You can't plant a flag. You can't say this is – the moon is ours. We own it. You, You can't put nuclear weapons in space. 
Yes. And you can't, for example, have a nuclear launch platform that is uh, flying overhead that could drop bombs on your enemy cities within 10 seconds, right? Like Theoretically, you can't put any weapons platforms no in space. No weapons platforms in space, right. Theoretically. Yeah. I mean, we do periodically blow up our own stuff to show that we can. Yeah. It's a bit problematic. You are obligated to rescue anybody in space if you can. That's very similar to maritime law. Like, like yes. if you get the... S, you know, if you get the SOS call, you you're you are duty bound to go and provide rescue by Canadian means necessary. That was actually a joke in Andy Weir's uh, The Martian, where you have the uh, Watley character basically saying that he was a Martian pirate. Uh, as as he was affecting various sites mm-hmm. on Mars and uh, basically trying to figure out what laws worked for what things. And since then, it has been figured out that Mars does not follow maritime law. But it was an interesting moment in the book. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. All right. So that's the, the law so far. And were there any more modifications to it? Yeah. Is As things keep getting more complicated, we realize there's more things we need to keep track of. And these are committees that are still out there functioning. And if committees are capable of anything, it's coming up with rules. So in 1976, they came out with the registration convention that says anything you launch into space and put into orbit needs to be registered with the UN. So we have a central registry, uh, that same office in Vienna, and the, the registration is supposed to say what the purpose of the spacecraft is. You can basically be as vague as you want. Right. So if you're going to launch a reconnaissance satellite, you have to identify that it is a, that you've launched it, but you don't have to say what it does. Right. right. They, they often get away with Earth surveillance, <laughs> right. which isn't accurate-ish phrase. Sure. Yeah. And, and then in 1979, many years after the Apollo missions, uh, they, they came out with the Moon Treaty, which was an, an additional step that not just for the Moon, but for all the other bodies. And, and the original treaty, just to give the full name of it, was Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies. The, the idea of, of the Moon Treaty Amendment in 1979 was to protect the things that we've put on the moon so far. So to essentially say, you can't go spray paint the Apollo missions. You can't go (laughs) beat up Luna and bring it back. So I I don't know why you would beat up Luna, but you can't go bring it back. So we can't essentially have a museum stealing historic artifacts from the surface of the moon. This is who we are as people that we need to worry about these things. And we're just trying to protect the world. So was this the end of the original Outer Space Treaty? Were there more amendments? This this was the end of the original Outer Space Treaty. And since then, we've seen more and more 
bilateral agreements where there are the agreements between the U.S. and Russia for the International Space Station. There are multi-nation agreements. Uh, this is where Japan later joined, as did other nations. Canada, I believe, was actually an, orig- an original signatory, so it wasn't bilateral. It was multinational. You have closed agreements for things like the International Space Station. You have closed agreements for things like nations planning space missions to Mars together. Right. And this new turn from multinational through the United Nations really came to a head with the Artemis Accords. This is a series of bilateral agreements between the United States and other nations that set out to describe how essentially people are going to share all of their data just like NASA does. So if you become part of the Artemis Accords, you're required to make all of your scientific data public. Right. It negotiates uh, how international standards are going to be used. So everyone's airlocks are going to be compatible with everyone else's airlocks. Now, there are some surprising nations that are not signing on to the Artemis Accords so far. Let me guess. Uh, let me guess. Let me guess. Russia. Well, yeah, that's not surprising. China. Also, not surprising. Okay. <laughs> uh, but we didn't see early enthusiasm either from Germany or India, hmm. which are countries we do work with. And the the concerns on this are: it's very much NASA saying. If you want to play in our sandbox, and it is not NASA so much as Congress saying, if you want to play in our sandbox, you have to sign on our nation to your nation bilaterally. So it's not Japan and Germany or Italy and Romania. Romania has their own space agency. It, It is not everyone going through the United Nations. It is literally you are signing an agreement with the United States negotiating whatever you negotiate and saying, let's go in it together. And anytime you have one nation saying, I am going to lead the way instead of one nation saying, let's make a committee. And, and this is where you see some fascinating comparisons where it was Eisenhower who originally was saying, Antarctica shouldn't belong to one nation, and it built on that to now NASA saying everyone has to go with us. Right. I I mean, I think that there are a lot of new opportunities that are coming up with space. As we're becoming more capable in space, we're seeing a bunch of issues start to rise. And I know that Congress has been trying to think about this. One is the say the rise of space debris the, the, that yes that you can't keep launching spacecraft and it to be sustainable um there was a there was an interesting paper that i read they calculated that we need to remove five pieces of space debris per five like dead spacecraft at these higher altitudes like these spent boosters yeah. or these dead sides per year to keep up with the rate that debris is accumulating in space and that if we don't then we're you know we're we're heading towards that Kessler syndrome. So so we need that level of 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 communication, not just mm-hmm. like can you get 
you know, approval from the, from the U S to fly your mission. Cause it's going to go over the ocean. It's going to go over the countries. Like yeah. we're going to get to a point where we need to have these kinds of agreements. And then the other one is control over the resources like asteroids, mm-hmm. things like that. And you can't own the moon. You can't own an asteroid, but the rules about you being able to harvest resources from that asteroid are a lot muddier. Like yes. is, was insight when it was digging in the ground, right? Was it mining mm-hmm. regolith for its own yeah. purpose or was it yeah. performing science? So I think that there are, that there's just this, this gray area. And then I think as we have more people going into space, then the militarization of space comes along with it. And, and what are the rules for the militarization of space? I mean, can you send an armed ship to protect satellites? Can satellites kill other satellites? What are the rules about that? And we see strange things happening on orbit where you can watch as one nation's mission will creep up on another nation's mission and just hang out, <laughs> eavesdropping presumably right. upon it. And and so as we, we consider just what are the consequences of a full-on Kessler syndrome occurring, what are the consequences of... Hydrazine is is a fairly terrible chemical that we have had various rocket accidents in the past lead to hydrazine making it back onto the surface of the planet. Well, what about crashing it onto Mars? What about crashing it onto the moon? These treaties also look to protect the landscapes. We have to figure out what the boundaries are, what counts as an accident, how we handle things before they go wrong, so we're not trying to what? figure it out in the moment that everything is going what? wrong. You think we'll do that? I think we'll try. Oh, okay. We'll try. We'll try. Yeah. yeah. People will recognize the issue and and make warnings that other people should take very seriously but won't. Yes. Right. Um and then, like, you think about some of these other, like, really far out ideas. Like, what if Elon Musk pulls it off and starts yeah. building a city on Mars? Is that legal? Well, like, do, like, does that currently violate the Outer Space Treaty? So, so, currently, you can build a scientific research base. Currently, right. you can do basic tourism. All these things that you see going on in Antarctica, totally fine to also do at Mars. Treat Mars like right. Antarctica. And so you can imagine a Elon Musk city as being a research station into human suffering. Yes, he is planning to build the company town. <laughs> right. But like, you know, just like, what's it like to live? How awful is it to live on Mars? Right. Terrible. Let's yeah. find out. Let's really do the research to find out how terrible it is. But it does bring up things like when when the the U.S. was was settled, and here I have to admit a gap in my Canadian knowledge. Um, after our country was pretty much emptied of the indigenous people by diseases, uh, we sent out settlers who basically could homestead land and if they maintained the land and lived on it for a certain number of years it became their own 
And, and so the question becomes, do we allow these people who are going to be homesteading on Mars to say that that land is theirs? And mm-hmm. no, technically we don't. Right. And, and that is exactly how every book ends up leading to uh, Mars eventually uh, declaring itself separate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. If you want, if you want us to move, come and kick us out. Exactly. That yeah, possession is is nine tenths of the law in this in this situation, um, and it's interesting. Like like a lot of people I see in the YouTube comments will make these things like, well, China is going to the moon, and they're just going to start claiming big chunks of the moon for themselves for their helium three mining facilities, but they can't. Right. They can't claim chunks of the moon. What the rules are in extracting resources from the moon is still there are not good laws to to cover this. Yeah. So I think the exact same rules that we have in here on Earth with what are the rules about flying airplanes across other people's airspace? What are the rules right. about putting boats out into the middle of the ocean? What are the rules about mining the deep sea? All of these, we've gone through this process. We know how to do this. And we know how to ignore the recommendations from scientists and, and the lawyers that are working on it. But all of these problems are going are gonna to continue to crop up. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting in the firefly definition of, oh, my God, oh, my God, we're all going to die for um, some bank accounts as companies try and find out what the limits are, what exactly can happen. But hopefully it's only going to be bank accounts that get hurt as companies find the limitations of the law. Um, There was an interesting study that I saw a couple of years ago about trying to predict what would make good wilderness on, in the solar system that, you know, if you just take our gross domestic product and you just continue to ramp it up, Mm -hmm. We will have we will be extracting resources across the solar system in a few hundred years. It's kind of inevitable. Yes. And so then the question is like, do we want to leave Mars as this really pristine wilderness with you know this amazing trench, these cool volcanoes, these um, all of the features on Mars? Like, there's plenty of rocks to grind up, but there are probably places across the solar system that are so special that we should leave them as wildernesses. And we have those here on earth. We have these, you know, UN, was it UNESCO heritage sites. Do we start setting up UNESCO heritage sites? So there's a, it it had always been theoretical that we wouldn't really have to think about how we're going to get along, how we share this resource of the universe. It's kind of, it was inaccessible and incomprehensible. And now we're getting to the point where where these are starting to be real issues that we're going to have to wrangle and wrap our heads around. It's it's a brave new world out there, and uh, we're going to see this in our lifetime. And mm-hmm. that is something I don't know if I would have been saying when we started recording this show. Yeah, really interesting. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Kamal. <laughs> And and thank you, Fraser, and thank you to everyone out there uh, on Patreon. Uh, we read the folks who donate uh, $10 and higher each month, and we are grateful for all of you, even those who only donate a dollar. This week, I would like to thank Georgie Ivanov, uh, Will Hamilton, Michael 
Pachado, Burry Galwin, Stephen Veit, Jordan Young, Jeanette Wink, Nana Fleeps, uh, Bora Andre Livsvold, Andrew Palestra, Venkatash Chari, Brian Kegel, David Trogue, Gerhard Schweitzer, David, Buzz Parsect, Zero Chill, Laura Kettleson, Robert Palesma, uh, Jack Mudge, Les Howard, Joe Holstein, Gordon Dewis, Frank Tippin, and Adam, Annis Brown, Alexis, Richard Drum, Wanderer M101, Astro Zeitz, uh, uh, Felix Goot, William Andrews, Gold, Roland Vormerdam, Jeff Collins, Simon Parton, Kellyanne and David Parker, Jeremy Kerwin, Stuart Mills, Harold Badenagen, Marco Ayarasi, uh, Georgie Ivanov, Scott Bieber, Kimberly Rake, Daniel Loosely. Thank you all so much for everything you do to allow us to keep doing what we do. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Astronomy Cast is a joint product of Universe Today and the Planetary Science Institute. Astronomy Cast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. So love it, share it, and remix it. But please credit it to our hosts, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can get more information on today's show topic on our website, astronomycast.com. This episode was brought to you thanks to our generous patrons on Patreon. If you want to help keep this show going, please consider joining our community at patreon.com slash astronomycast. Not only do you help us pay our producers a fair wage, you will also get special access to content right in your inbox and invites to online events. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined our Patreon community already. Anyways, keep looking up. This has been Astronomy Cast.